Welcome to Inquiry, a podcast geared towards students where we discuss all things related to tech, from school to industry. My name is Annie. And I'm Daniel. And together, we are your co-hosts. For today's episode, we are so excited to introduce Bill Liu. Bill is a third-year computer science student at the University of California, Los Angeles. Last summer, Bill was a software engineer intern at Facebook, where he worked on Facebook for iOS. Bill is currently taking a quarter off school to return to Facebook, where he's currently working on Instagram for iOS. He will also be working as a software engineering intern at TikTok this upcoming summer. Outside of school and work, Bill enjoys painting, fencing, and playing chess. We are super honored to have you with us today, Bill. Thank you so much for taking the time. Would you be able to start off by telling everyone a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So a little background about myself. I am Canadian. I grew up in Ottawa. It's also where I went to high school. And I graduated high school in 2018 and started going to the University of California, Los Angeles in the same year, which meant that I had to move from Ottawa to LA, which is basically uh, on the other side of the continent. In high school, I did a lot of extracurriculars that may have guided my interest into what program I studied in university. So in high school, I was a part of stuff like debate, model United Nations, DECA business cases, computer science. And I initially applied and got into UCLA as a business econ major, where I switched to the math of computation major during my first quarter there. So during my orientation to university. And after three quarters, at the start of my freshman summer, I actually switched from the mathematics of computation major, which belonged to the College of Letters and Science, to the computer science major, which belonged to the College of Engineering. The main difference between the two being one having more math and the other having more computer science. And right now I'm in my junior year, so my third year. And to give a little bit of context, our school uses the quarter system, which means there's three quarters every year plus a summer quarter which is usually off of school to do internships or to do research or to just take a break. That sounds great. So can you tell us a bit more about the program you're currently studying and why you decided to make the switch from your old program to the computer science program you're now in? Yeah, for sure. So my current major is computer science, and I think the degree is a bachelor's of science. It's accredited by ABET, the Accreditation Board of Engineering Technology, which is the US equivalent of Engineers Canada. And I guess to go over a little bit about what the computer science major is, for those of you who aren't sure or don't have a good grasp on exactly what it means, I'll give a little blurb from the UCLA website about this. So graduates are expected to apply the basic mathematical and scientific concepts that underlie modern computer science and engineering, design a software or digital hardware system, component or process to meet the desired needs within realistic constraints, function productively with others as a part of a team, identify, formulate, and solve computer software and hardware-related engineering problems, and demonstrate effective communication skills. So this is a four-year program, undergraduate, and there is no like co-op or anything. Usually US universities don't have co-op programs, and you are expected to find internships by yourself. And so the reason why I was drawn to the program and why I essentially switched is because in high school, I was interested in a lot of things, right? Uh, I explained before, I did debate, I did Maluan, I did DECA, and I was initially most interested in economics, and actually I was interested in law. And so that was my initial plan was to major in economics and um, maybe go to law school, maybe go into the industry straight away, but something to that effect. And what drew me specifically to computer science, or the reason why I went through those majors and and switched was because of the program outcomes. So I actually researched this before I switched majors because I was kind of nervous and kind of unsure about my prospects after I graduate, as well as having worries about getting financial support for a potential graduate school program. And so, I did some research and it turns out that UCLA does a first destination survey every couple of years where UCLA reports on where alumni end up after the first year since graduation for their undergrad program. And I saw that UCLA's computer science program had the highest post-graduation 
full employment rate out of all other majors. So I think this number was at, yeah, this number was at 68% with 16% going to grad school and only 10% seeking employment after one year. I also saw that CS students ended up at really well-paying and well-known companies. Amazon was the number one destination for UCLA CS students. Facebook was number three, Google number four, and Microsoft number five. And so that was kind of the main reason why I chose to switch into CS because I felt like I had a lot of fat passions in high school and I felt like I could major in a number of things. And I wanted to major in the thing that I thought would have the best post-graduation outcome. And I think this is a very unique situation because I know everyone else might not have as many options or as many things that they're passionate about. But for me, I felt like I could do a number of things and I wanted to choose the one that made the most sense to me, which was having those program outcomes. That makes a lot of sense. So just out of curiosity, are you still aiming to do law school after your CS degree? <laughs> no, definitely not. I am definitely looking to either enter industry directly or maybe go into a computer science graduate program, like a computer science master's. But most likely, I would say I would head straight into industry, given my experience working and interning in the industry right now. That sounds great. So before we dive into the application process, I was just wondering if you could walk us through the transferring process and whether it was a complicated process or a pretty straightforward one. Yeah, for sure. So the most difficult part about transferring, I would say, was not transferring majors. Usually, if you wanted to transfer majors inside a single college, so the idea is that UCLA split into a number of different colleges. The most popular college and the college with the most majors in it is the College of Letters and Science. And this was the college that I was initially in and that I was admitted in. However, the computer science major was in the College of Engineering. I believe it's called the Henry Samueli College of Engineering. And so the most difficult part was having to switch between colleges. And what that took is that took three quarters of an engineering course load, which meant I had to take out of the four classes I was taking every quarter, I had to take at least one math class and at least one engineering class. So engineering in my case was computer science. So I took one math class and one computer science every quarter for three quarters. And for those major prep classes, I had to achieve a GPA of at least 3.5. But as long as I got a 3.5 average in those prep classes, and I took those classes for three quarters, the transfer was generally smooth. It was just about your performance in those classes. Cool. It's good to hear that the transfer was pretty smooth. So now onto the application process. How would you describe it as an international student? Yeah, I think applying to UCLA as an international student, it is a bit different. The details are a bit hazy for me, but what I remember is that all UC schools use the UC application instead of the common application, which is used by most US universities. So this UC application includes most stuff like exams, grade reporting, personal essays, and letters of recommendation. And in fact, as of 2020, the UC application no longer considers the SAT or ACT test scores due to a California court ruling. So you no longer need those scores. And so even as an international student, it is just like a regular college application. You have to fill out all of the exam and grade reporting and essays and letters of recommendation. I think the only unique thing is that the UC application is only open for one month. I believe it's only open for the month of November. So you can only actually fill it out and submit it during the month of November. Um, before November, like it's completely locked. And after November, it's completely locked. So I think that's the only thing that if you were interested in UCLA, you, you would want to be careful with. That sounds great. So could you speak a bit on your experience taking the SATs and the ACTs and whether it was time consuming and if you had any advice for students who are taking it right now or looking to? Sure. Yeah. I think that taking the SATs or at least coming from the IB program, taking the SATs were definitely not as like time consuming. I didn't have to spend as much time preparing for it as I had expected to just because of the kind of the rigorousness of the IB program and the fact that I did go through math and physics and English during the IB program. However, 
it did take me a couple of times to get a score that I was, I guess, comfortable with that I thought would be really competitive. I think my first try, I got like a 1490 out of 1600. And it was only on my third try did I get a score that I was really comfortable with, which I believe was 1570. And so it did take me a couple of tries, although I didn't feel like I had to prepare much other than just doing a couple of practice exams. So I think that if I had any advice to people preparing for the SAT or the ACT, obviously right now, I think there's a huge wave of universities starting to actually not consider it due to like court rulings on discrimination and such. But if you still require it, I would just recommend trying to do practice exams and making sure you are relaxed and you aren't nervous for the day of the exam. That sounds great. Those are some pretty impressive scores. On the topic of scores, what would you say are grades that are needed to have a competitive application? Sure. So from some of the data that I saw, the average unweighed GPA for admits to UCLA in general, so this is all majors for fall of 2020, was 3.93. So that is around, talking in terms of Canadian high school scores, around a 92 average. However, for a competitive admission, Reseller reports data on admits in the 75th percentile. So the top 25% of admitted students actually had a 4.0 unweighed GPA average, which I believe is technically impossible. Like it's technically perfect. So that's basically impossible in any Canadian system where it's basically impossible to get a 100 average. So I would round it to around 95 average in the Canadian system to be competitive, which is to be in the 75th percentile. I think that School of Engineering, so specifically my program, Computer Science, is actually a bit harder. I don't have GPA averages for the School of Engineering, but I can tell you the emit rate. So the emit rate for UCLA Computer Science is 8.6% compared to the school-wide average of 12%. So it's a little bit harder to get into School of Engineering at first. Although I didn't actually have to do that since I was admitted into the College of Letters and Sciences. Cool. So would you say that there are any supplementals that maybe helped your application outside of grades? I think they definitely did consider my extracurriculars. So all the stuff I did with competitive programming, with Becca, with debate, with Model United Nations. I think that's kind of the normal stuff that universities do consider. They also did consider the IB program. So I did get to report my IB exam scores and it mainly did was show the rigor of my high school curriculum because IB programs are generally standardized and the rigor is the same level across all schools that have the IB program. But other than that, there were no really special supplementals that I needed for my application. That sounds great. So you mentioned the IB program and I was wondering, what would you say is the biggest benefit that the IB program brought to you during your university applications? Sure. I think that UCLA does award college credit for most higher level exams taken with scores five or higher. So for example, I got scores for, I got credits for math, uh, physics, and English, which I all take in higher level. But I think that other than that, IB didn't really play a huge impact in my application or my college life, I think the largest, most important benefit that IB had was teaching time management, how to prioritize tasks, forcing that breadth of knowledge, because you had to take IB classes from every subject. And that really came into play in the computer science program, because I had to take physics and math as a part of the CS program. And I think IB prepared me very well in terms of that. That's great to hear. So all in all, would you have any advice for students who are applying from Canada to, for example, UCLA or any other U.S. universities? Yeah, for sure. I think that it's very hard for me to give advice because I think I fall into the trap of having successfully applied to and being admitted to a U.S. program. I think that in general, there's no good way to guarantee being admitted. And in the end, it's a numbers game. And so the best strategy is, other than trying to improve your application as best as possible, getting good letters of recommendation, getting good essays, getting good grades, getting good test scores, is to simply apply to as many universities as you're interested in, if possible. I think that's the only thing that I regret not doing is I think I only applied to 
a very small subsection of U.S. universities rather than a broader one, and so had much fewer choices to make. The one thing that I think might come up is many universities do have pretty hefty application fees, and so if you're unable to apply to as many universities as you want to, I believe that a lot of places have application fee waivers for some circumstances. I know it's not applicable for everyone, but definitely look into that if you're interested in. One thing that I would like to say to Canadians applying to schools in the U.S. in general and to UCLA in general is that, from my point of view, I think if you're interested in working for a U.S. company, working for a industry in the U.S. that is really big, like tech in the U.S., I think it's definitely really, really worth it to try to apply to U.S. university. And getting access to a lot of the resources and the environment that some Canadian schools don't offer, and so I definitely don't have any regrets. And I think that one of the biggest life choices I had to make was choosing to go to a U.S. school instead of a Canadian school. And for example, I guess one of the most hardest decisions I had to make was deciding between going to university in the U.S., so going to UCLA as like a business econ major at the time. Or going to、uh, University of Waterloo Software Engineering, and so that was like a big choice that I had to make because you know I had to move across half the country where I had no friends compared to you know Canadian universities where I knew a lot of people going there and I had I would have a really big support group. But in the end, I realized the importance of being in the place where the recruitment actually happens, and being in California and being. Very close to the heart of Silicon Valley, where I was in the end most interested in working at a tech company, and yeah, I think that was one of the biggest life choices I had to make. So, would you say that when you were making the decision between Waterloo and UCLA, the point that made you tip was the fact that UCLA was located near the tech hub? Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest choices. I think the other big factor that I took into consideration was the fact that. UCLA was actually a really well-known school in the U.S. and a big target school for tech companies. In fact, I think if you head to LinkedIn right now and you like、um, search for big tech companies like Google and Facebook, you'll see that UCLA is actually the fourth most frequent university for Google employees, and I think the fifth most frequent university for Facebook employees, only under schools like Stanford, Berkeley, and Carnegie Mellon. And it's actually above schools like Harvard and MIT, and so I think being in California and being located right next to the tech hub is really important in terms of recruiting. Those numbers are really impressive. So now that we've talked a bit about the application, I'd like to move on to the campus in general. So, how would you describe your experience at UCLA so far? Yeah, I think obviously because of the pandemic, I only spent. The equivalent of five quarters on campus. So, my freshman year and then my sophomore year up to spring quarter. But during my five quarters there, I think it was a really, really great experience, because UCLA is what I would call the stereotypical U.S. college experience. I believe one interesting fact about UCLA is that it's a really popular film location. And because it's so near to Hollywood and to Bel Air and to like Beverly Hills, a lot of places decide to film on or near UCLA. I believe, in terms of UCLA, the architecture and how it looks, it's very much like a classic college campus. We had dorms that were right next to the college buildings, and everything is、uh, all the dorms are together. So if you ever had to talk to someone else who was also a freshman and who happened not to be a commuter, it would be really easy. You could just Walk kind of down the pavilion, and then you could go to another dorm, and you could chat with them. All of the dining halls were really awesome. I believe that we were either ranked like the second or the or the top dining halls in the U.S. And so the food was always great.、Uh, always enjoyed eating in the dining halls, and I, that's still one thing that I regret not doing more: is eating in the dining halls rather than eating out、um, or making my own food. And I think. In terms of campus life, I also did a bunch of extracurriculars. So there's a ton of clubs on campus. I think this is common across all universities.、Um, I think I'll talk more about that later as well. But I think in general, it was very much 
what you would expect out of college life out of like an American film because it was so classic in terms of the buildings and the clubs and the classes, the lecture halls, the dorms. It was just an amazing experience overall. That sounds great. How would you compare the American college life to maybe the more Canadian way of life over here? Yeah, I think that's hard for me to compare um, just because I, I've never experienced going to a Canadian university or, or what that looks like. I've, I've visited the University of Ottawa and Carleton and Waterloo a couple of times. But I think in general, the biggest difference is that almost all the freshmen and the sophomore live in the dorms on campus. And all the dorms are in one location. And so they're all right next to each other. If you ever meet someone in class that you'd like to be friends with or that you'd like to collaborate on, either on a project, extracurricular activity, or homework, they basically almost often guaranteed live right next to you and or maybe are even in the same building. And so just that closeness, that physical closeness, I felt like was really conductive in that university and college atmosphere and aspect of community. That sounds great. And I feel like being and living together really, as you said, creates this sense of community. I do feel like in Canadian universities, sometimes people live a bit more further away depending on the student circumstances and everything. So I do think it's pretty different when everyone lives together. So now that we've talked a bit about campus and applications and all of that, I was wondering, what was it that initially got you interested in the tech industry? Yeah, for sure. So in high school was when I first got interested in technology. I think during ninth grade, I took a technology course, uh, information technology course. And that was when I was introduced to coding, I believe. I was introduced to programming via, I think it was called Dreamweaver at the time, uh, making web pages with HTML and JavaScript, as well as I think there was a language called ActionScript, which was used to script Flash programs, which now, of course, is no longer being used. But those were the times where I was first introduced to tech. And I think since that first time I wrote a program and then executed and I saw kind of the results of my program, I was just like totally fascinated about tech. I dove really deep into it in high school. I did competitive programming, so I competed often in the ECOO, which is, I believe, like an Ontario-wide programming competition. And I believe we made it to like provincials for two years, the two years I was, my two last years in high school. And doing that, along with running the coding club at my high school, was just really fun. And spending that time with friends, solving problems, writing code, and in general, doing things that I felt like weren't constrained by the fact that I was doing something specifically for school. Like for example, if I wrote an essay in English or if I did a math problem set in math or or physics problem set, I felt like, okay, I was doing this for school and I'm specifically handing it in as a school project for marks and for evaluation of what I learned. But in terms of coding and in terms of computer science, I felt like I was learning something and building something that I could use in the future that could be useful to other people in the future. And that I felt like I was really invested in building. And so that was the uniqueness of computer science that I felt like, like to give one example, right? For my CAS project in the IB program, which is like a volunteer project that you had to do for an organization or a group. What I did is I built a website for my club, uh, which was the Model United Nations Club at uh, my high school. And so that was like the one case where I got a chance to build something uh, like a website for a club that would be used by other people for like the years to come. And so that was something that I felt like was not only just for a school or for the club for one time, but was almost permanent and had like a legacy that I felt like I could contribute to. That sounds great. So I was wondering outside of, for example, school assignments or maybe work, what kind of projects do you enjoy the most taking on? Yeah, I think nowadays, the, some of the things I enjoy the most are not specifically projects. So I guess this is twofold. So 
The first thing, if I wanted to talk specifically about project, um, I love going to hackathons. So if you don't know what hackathons are in general, they are a event where people from all over the country or all over the state gather, usually held by a university or a university club. So for example, at UCLA, we have LA Hacks. At Berkeley, they have Cal Hacks. And at Stanford, they have Tree Hacks. So usually every big university will have their own hackathon. And during this hackathon, what happens is you usually spend 36 hours or more in a team of usually four to five building something, just anything. Usually you're building some software. You might also be building hardware, but where you're building something for some purpose, for some social good or for some entrepreneurial idea. And I always love this because you are forced to complete a project in a short amount of time with your friends there. And it's just an exhilarating experience working for maybe 24 hours or 36 hours straight on a project that you get to complete and demo at the end of the hackathon. And so that's one of my favorite things to do is participate in those hackathons. And some of my favorite projects that I've worked on came out from those hackathons. So for example, at one hackathon at UCSB, we created a basically an AI that could detect whether or not a question asked was sincere or not. So whether or not something was sincere or was just designed to inflame emotions. And the idea was, is we used a machine, a novel machine learning technique uh, with transfer learning to train a model to detect these things based on a data set of Quora answers. And like using these novel AI techniques to build something that we thought would be really useful for stuff like internet moderators and for the online community in such a short amount of time and being able to demo that off to other people at the event was really fulfilling and we were really proud of the project. So in terms of projects, I think hackathon projects are one of my favorite things to do and my favorite events and activities to go to. Other than projects, so outside of projects and work and school, another thing that I was really into is competitive programming. And I think I've gone a little rusty at it because I haven't practiced as much often as I wanted to. But I think that participating in competitive programming is also a really huge way for me to not only practice something that is really useful for things like interviews and for things like internships, but also to have fun competing, right? And this is a space where it's a really competitive space and me being like someone who's really competitive and really likes competing, this was, I felt like the perfect mix of what I was studying and my competitive nature. That sounds great. And the hackathon project you mentioned sounds really impressive and interesting. So now that we've talked a bit more about your interest, when it comes to the tech industry, do you have any trends or industries that you really are interested in? I think in general, it's very difficult to tell what direction tech trends are going. I think that it's very hard to tell. I think that in my personal opinion, I think there are two general areas that are safe bets to watch in the upcoming decade or so. And I can't really tell you anything outside of that decade because basically anything can happen. I think that the two spaces that are to watch in the upcoming decade are mobile, so mobile development, both hardware and software, and financial technology. And obviously these trends, the reason why I want to watch these trends are because these are trends that have been actually happening for the past decade or so that I've seen grow. So nowadays, the mobile market is, I believe, already much bigger than the desktop computer market and you know whatever the console market. Mobile devices are, I believe, I don't have the exact numbers here, but basically the most common piece of hardware that can run software, right? And with such a powerful piece of hardware in everyone's hands, I think that mobile apps and mobile development, software development in particular, will continue to grow and continue to innovate, especially with recent hardware advances in terms of phones and smartphones. And so obviously I'm a little bit biased because I personally do iOS development. So obviously I have to look, be optimistic in terms of this industry if I'm going to work in it. So I may be a little, a little bit biased about that to so take that with a grain of salt. The second field that I think is to watch out for is financial technology or FinTech. So this includes companies like Stripe, like Square, like 
Cash App. And I think the reason why this is a place to watch is because you've seen some apps and some ideas gotten really popular, stuff like the democratization of finance with apps like Robinhood, Wealthsimple, as well as the digitization of finance. So nowadays you see very often payment methods are being replaced by uh, online payment methods and by touchless transactions. So stuff like using your phone as your credit card or using a payment link. And I think that this is one thing that is continuing to grow and will continue to grow. And this is, I think, one space where I believe that the U.S. isn't actually, the U.S. market for this isn't actually fully matured. And the reason for this is because I think four or five years ago, I went to China and I was visiting my extended family there. And back then, stuff like touchless transactions and online payments weren't really that popular in the U.S., at least, Um, weren't as widespread as they are today. But in China, I did see that effectively no one was carrying cash or cards around. Everyone paid using QR codes, using their phones, using touchless transactions, online payments. Uh, Companies like Alibaba were doing really well. And I think that that was one of the places where the digitization of finance was actually much more advanced than it was in the U.S. And I feel like U.S. still has a lot of space to make up in terms of that field. And so I think in a decade to come, fintech has a lot of space to grow. That sounds great. And I do agree with you that those are two industries that already have shown the potential they have and have taken over slowly the market, but do still have expansion. So now if we circle back to more of your professional experience, you've done some pretty impressive internships. Could you tell us a little bit more about your experiences? Yeah, for sure. So I'll talk about kind of my specific path to getting the internships I did. And I'll try to go into as much detail as what I did during them as I can, as I'm legally allowed to. So the same summer that I switched to the computer science major, I interned at a telemedicine company called InTouch Health, which now I believe has been acquired by Teladoc Health. But nevertheless, I worked there as an iOS developer intern where I worked on their health provider access software for their medical robots. So they had produced medical robots in partnership with Intuitive Surgical, which was the company that did the medical robot that did the great surgery, if any of you remember that, and for their iOS devices. And so that was really fun. In terms of getting that internship, I believe that in my freshman year, I had recognized that because there was no co-op program, one of my biggest priorities had to be finding internships and finding work experience. And so right from the start, from I believe winter quarter of that year, I had begun applying to internships, which was already kind of late uh, now in retrospect. And I applied to a lot of internships. I think I had to apply to over 50 or 60 or so. And I had essentially gotten two callbacks or two offers at the time. One was InTouch Health. The other was Belkin, uh, which is the company that makes a lot of accessories for desktop computers and for phones. So stuff like power banks and chargers and phone stands and stuff like that. And that position specifically was for a software engineering in test intern. So I would mainly be working in software testing and quality assurance software work versus iOS development while working for InTouch Health. And so I had chose to gone with a more development focused position because that was what I was basically most interested in. And I felt like had the most application to potential future internships that I would get. So After I did that internship, my sophomore, so my second year, during fall quarter, after an event with Facebook on campus, I did on-campus interviews with them. And soon after, I got the offer to work at Facebook during my sophomore summer as a software engineering intern. So sophomore internship programs in the U.S. and for big companies like Facebook and Google, they do have a specific freshman and sophomore internship program. So for example, Google has the STEP program and Facebook has Facebook University, which is like a special program specifically for freshmen and sophomores who don't have internship, previous internship experience. And I definitely heavily recommend you apply to these, even though, of course, they're very competitive, even though I personally didn't go through them. Because when I did my interviews, I just did them for their normal software engineering internship um, that was designed for people who had already done 
some internship before or had internship experience. And so because I already did an internship my freshman summer, I was put into the normal fresh, uh, software engineering internship program and I interviewed for that program normally. And so there that summer, I worked on the Facebook iOS app. So just to give a bit of a context, the freshman and sophomore program, the FBU program, they actually, I believe, don't actually have you work on the product themselves, like the Facebook core products or the Instagram core products. And they have you build your own project. Um, of course, I believe that you get to use you know, Facebook's tools to build your project, but it won't be actually put in the hands of people as a product, right? And so I got the chance that I felt like I was really lucky to work on the Facebook iOS app itself and worked on the Stories Composer. So when you go open Facebook and you tap on add to story or create a story, that composer that pops up with the gallery and the editor when you want to edit a photo and before you post it, I worked on that feature there. And I'll talk, try to talk a little bit about what I worked on, although I can't really talk that much. So after my sophomore summer, during my junior year, which is my current year, because everything was online and the pandemic was happening and everything was remote, I personally didn't really like going to online school and remote learning. I felt like that it wasn't the best way to learn and having things pre-recorded while at first sounding like a great idea that you could watch your pre-recorded lectures at your own leisure. I felt like didn't fit me very well because I would constantly push off the lectures to like a weekend uh, night and it was really uncomfortable when I had to watch all of them in one go. And so I took a quarter off. So I took this quarter off winter quarter of my junior year to return to Facebook to work for Instagram and work on the Instagram iOS app. And this upcoming sun summer, I'm going to be working for TikTok, uh, presumably also on their iOS app. That sounds great. So how would you describe a typical work day for an intern? Yeah, sure. So just to, I guess, clear up a bit of a mis misconception about full-time work as a software engineer and even as an intern. So as a software engineering intern, I'm essentially almost treated like a full-time employee, like a regular software engineer. Of course, I have to be taught a lot of the things. So I have to go through orientation and trainings for maybe the first week. Um, around the first three days or so. And they do go easy on me in terms of performance reviews and code reviews and stuff like that. But in general, they do use me as a resource like I was a full-time employee and allow me to contribute to the product. And so I'm not given like a, what you would kind of talk, call like a toy project, like I'm not given a, a special intern project. I'm just given a project that may have been given to any regular employee as my task for the internship. Of course, it's still the best to treat your internship as a extended interview, right? You're still being evaluated as whether or not you'd fit well as a, a full-time Facebook employee, but in general, you are treated almost like an employee and you're expected to work at a productivity of, of a regular employee. And so one special thing that I like to outline is that this doesn't apply to all companies, but specifically at Facebook, I'm salaried, which means that I'm paid based on a monthly rate. And so they don't track my hours and I can work as little or as much as I want. And the key is that all they really care about is whether or not I hit certain metrics and whether or not I complete my tasks before my internship ends. And they don't really care about how much hours, physical hours I put in, because I think they recognize that you know, this might be different for everyone about how many hours people are willing to put in. And sometimes hours is not a really good track of how productive you are. So on some days, for example, if I'm busy, I could potentially not work at all. Other days, I could work more time if I wanted to. The other misconception I kind of wanted to clear about working as a software engineering intern is that usually when you think of, oh, if someone's a software engineer or software engineering intern, they sit down and they they look at a screen and they code for eight hours or they code for four hours and then they eat lunch and they code for four more hours. But in reality, very little of my day is actually spent writing code. So usually what happens is um, in the morning, I have a meeting with my mentor and maybe my manager. There might be a team meeting that's around an hour long or so. So around an hour and a half or an hour of my day is already taken up by meetings. Outside of that, the majority of my time actually goes towards either communicating with my teammates, communicating with cross-functional members of my team. So communicating between me, who is, I'm a software engineering intern, with the data scientist, with the data engineer, 
with the product manager, with the engineering manager to clarify what I'm working on and any questions I have, as well as to communicate to other engineering teams that potentially want to know what I'm working on or want to know something that I've discovered. I also have to be looking for where or what I need to modify in code to actually complete my project. And so I actually probably spent more time looking at documentation, looking at resources and looking at the code base than I do actually writing code. And I maybe only spend maybe two hours or, or less actually physically typing up code during the day. And the rest of the time is spent during meetings and actually reading documentation, finding code, communicating to, with other people, having one-on-ones. And so your day is actually very diverse and varied in terms of the things that you do. So it's not all just writing code. And I think that is one thing that really surprised me was how little I was actually physically writing code and how much I was communicating with other people. That sounds really cool. So would you have any projects that you completed in the past that you really enjoyed doing or working on? Sure. Yeah. I think that this question is unfortunately tough to answer for me because I feel like a lot of the things I can't really talk too much about. I think that one project that I was really, really proud about that I think I can talk about because it is currently uh, featured in the Facebook app. So it's currently out now. And so I think I can talk about it is I worked on a, a little heart indicator in the Stories Composer. So for example, if you open up the Stories Composer right now, and you look at the gallery of photos that you could potentially post to your story, you might actually see a little heart, a white heart in like the top left corner or the top right corner of the photos or videos that you favorited in your iOS camera roll. And so that was really fun to do. And seeing it now, six months after I did it on everyone's phones and in everyone's apps was really, really cool. And just seeing the scope and the scale of my impact was like super, super cool. That sounds really cool. So to wrap this up, would you have any advice for students who are looking to secure a tech internship? Yeah, for sure. So I actually do a lot of this type of consulting and this type of workshops where I try to give internship advice and try to guide freshmen and sophomores towards landing their first internship. And so in general, I would split up getting internships into three steps. The first step is to get an interview. The second is to pass your interviews. And the third is to actually succeed during an internship. And I think the third step people often forget about because they think that as long as I've got the internship, that counts as kind of success. But you have to recognize that the internship is an extended interview that just happens in the last three months. And they are in the end still evaluating the performance and whether or not you are a good fit in terms of culture or in terms of performance for the company as a full-time employee. And so I'll probably go a little bit over all three steps. So in terms of getting an interview, I think the most important advice I could give about getting an interview is, again, this advice is actually very similar to the advice I'm giving for applying to units at university, is to simply just apply to a lot of places. And this is mainly because, again, just with university applications, it's very hard to guarantee and to get an interview. And in general, it's a numbers game. And the only way to increase the number of interviews you get is to increase the number of places you apply to. And so one thing, one piece of advice I always give is for every rejection that you get, so for every time that someone rejects you before even giving you an interview, apply to five more places. And that way you're just exponentially applying to so many places that you should eventually get a lot of interviews in that case. The only other advice I could give is referrals are super important. Uh, don't be shy to ask other people for referrals. Referrals, what they often do is they often get you to the front of the pile in terms of a human looking at your resume. So usually the first thing that happens is some kind of automated system or AI will look at your resume before any human puts their eyes on it. And so a referral just simply gets your resume at the top of the desk, which can be really useful in terms of getting your eyes on your resume first and getting a human to read your resume instead of just a computer. And so referrals are super, super important. Don't be afraid to go out and ask them. And the reason why I say not to be afraid of asking for referrals is because oftentimes referrals, successful referrals at least, will result in a some kind of monetary bonus or compensation for the referrer. So if, for example, I refer someone to Facebook, 
there's a possibility that I could potentially get compensated or get a bonus from that referral. And so don't be afraid to ask people for referrals. People are usually very open to the chance of getting a bonus and to anyone who they believe would be successful and would contribute to the company and the product. The second step in terms of passing in the interview, I think the most important thing here is practice. A lot of the interview process in big tech companies like Facebook and Google are very standardized and are actually very easy to prepare for. There are lots of online resources, places like uh, leetcode.com, places like HackerRank, where there is a huge bank of practice problems that you could um, practice just a little every day and build up your interviewing skills. Because in the end, that is a skill that you can practice and is something that can only be really built up using practice, right? No amount of studying is going to help you communicate what you are talking about and what your program does during that technical interview. And so practice is the biggest factor in the second step in actually passing the interview. And I would heavily recommend taking a look at these resources, especially stuff like leetcode.com, which is super helpful. For this third step is actually succeeding in an internship. So again, I only have two sample points for this. I've only got return offers from two internships. So my first one at InTouch Health and my second one at Facebook. But in general, the advice that I like to give here is that you should always be looking at places where you can learn from and where you can improve. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to take risks to build something out that you're not sure will work or you're not sure will actually be useful. Take time to look and communicate with your manager and your mentors to see if there's any other work you could do and make suggestions for improvements on the stuff you're working on and that even on the stuff that other people are working on. I think that this will demonstrate that you will have gone further beyond the responsibilities of a regular intern and will really look good when they review your performance to see if you get a return offer. And so that's the most important part about doing the internship, I think, is to really try to push yourself and to find opportunities to make impact where it is unexpected for an intern to make impact. That's some really great advice. I really liked how you broke down your advice into three parts and then gave more details on each part. So outside of work, what are some activities or extracurriculars such as clubs or just activities that you really enjoy doing and being a part of? Yeah, for sure. So I love talking about this. The clubs I'm part of, I'm really proud of. So I'm a part of three clubs. So the first one is the ACM chapter at UCLA. So this is the Association for Computation Machinery or Computing Machinery. I, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but I believe that's it. Right now, I'm an officer for their ICPC branch, which is a branch dedicated to essentially teaching competitive programming and participating in competitive programming, as well as teaching how to succeed in technical interviews. And so that is really fun because I get the chance to really give back to the community by holding workshops on how to succeed in technical interviews, but I also get a chance to practice myself and improve my own skills in that sense, along with my fellow officers. So that is really fun. The second thing I was, I'm a part of is that I'm an elected officer of the Upsilon Pi Epsilon chapter in UCLA. So that's a honor society for computer science students. And I'm currently the mentorship chair, which means, again, I hold a lot of events giving advice on how to get internships and how to succeed as a CS major. And so, again, that's really fun for the same reasons as my first officer position um, at ACM because I really get to interact with the community and talk with other people and spread the knowledge and try to get as many UCLA students into their dream internship as possible. The third club that I'm part of is a bit special. So I'm a part of LA Blueprint, which is a club dedicated to building software pro bono to nonprofits. And so the idea is we would con be contracted out to nonprofits to help build open source software for them. Most recently, I was a project lead leading a team of developers to work on a project for, I think it's called Project for Torture Victims or Program for Torture Victims um, that's based in Los Angeles that helps asylum seekers and refugees get their bearings in California. And that was really fun because I got to interact with a real nonprofit and contribute to code and lead a project for something for social good, for something that would be helpful to people. And I think that 
that was really impactful. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I'm a, a part of this project, um, why I'm part of this club. Those clubs sound really, really interesting and cool to be a part of. So I guess to wrap this up, what is one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring youth that are looking to go into the tech industry? I think that the most important advice I could give, if you want to keep anything else, if you want to throw away anything else I said, but keep this in mind, is that the most important thing isn't to not feel discouraged about failure. Because tech is all about failure and about trial and error. But the most important thing is to be able to pick yourself up after failing, after feeling discouraged, after giving up, and to be able to come back and be able to recognize your past failures as lessons. And so this, I feel like, is super important because all of tech is about experimenting. It's about trial and error. It's about exploring perhaps what you're good at or what you're passionate about and what you're not. And it's about, you know, oftentimes failing, not getting a specific internship that you wanted, not getting the grades that you're looking for, not having the research experience that you wish for, not getting the internship experience that you're looking for, not working on the project that you want to. And the key part here is you want to always, always, always be looking out for what opportunities have opened up because of your failure or because of your lack of success there. And I felt like that the many times that I failed, I'd be able to take advantage of that as an opportunity to either learn from the mistakes I've done or to explore opportunities that weren't available to me before, right? And I think that's one thing that oftentimes people, a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't give up, you should persevere, you shouldn't feel discouraged. But I think that in terms of your mental health, it's totally normal to feel discouraged and to feel down about, you know, your failures and, and your successes. And I think the most important thing is to be able to learn from them and to move on, um, to not dwell on the past and to, to just look forward. I think that set of guiding principles has really caused me to be where I am today. I think that's great advice and it's a very good mindset to always have. And I think it's a great way to end off this episode. So thank you so much, Bill, for coming on and having a chat with me. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you too, Daniel. Thanks for tuning in and having us be a part of your journey to code your future. Make sure to follow us on social media to stay in the loop and for a chance to have your questions answered in our next episode. See you then. Thank you.